The NBA draft withdrawal deadline has come and gone, and with it comes a whole new wave of transfer targets for Carolina to look at. I've got my eye on a couple, starting today with Creighton transfer Arthur Kaluma. You are Locked On Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Monday, June 5th, 2023. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host. Yes, it is me. I promise. Isaac Shade. I want to thank you for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen or first watch every single day. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. For those of you watching, uh, you see that there's a new look, both for the show. We've got some new graphics going on. Hopefully you enjoy them. It's a little bit more slick and uh, a new look for me as well. That's why I said in the open, yes, it is me. Isaac Shade. For those of you listening, uh, you might not know, but I usually have long curly hair and uh, over the weekend I cut it off. I do this typically every two years and it was time. So here we are. My shampoo and conditioner budget just went way, way down. So anyway, I'm ready for the summer and now I hope you are too. Coming up on today's show, unfortunately, it was a Rough weekend, I guess we'll call it, for the baseball team who did not advance out of their regional to the Super Regional this year. We'll wrap up the season. And then coming up, uh, obviously, as I said in the cold open, we're going to be talking about a new transfer target in Arthur Kaluma coming out of Creighton. And so let's start there. Because, as I said, we're in this phase where the deadline to withdraw from the NBA draft has come and gone. That was last Wednesday at midnight Eastern time or, you know, 11.59 and 59 seconds or whatever on Wednesday night. So now because of that, there's like this new wave of available players in the transfer portal that were already there, but they were working through all their NBA draft stuff and weren't ready to look at um, college options yet. Think of it as players like Pete Nance last year for Carolina, right? They they really couldn't – it seemed like there was perhaps mutual interest, but they couldn't really start that whole song and dance routine until he withdrew from the NBA draft. That's where we're at right now because we've gone through this first wave of guys who are just straight-up transferring. But then you get to guys who entered their name in the NBA draft and also entered the transfer portal because in order – to transfer, even though you're in the NBA draft, you have to enter your name in the transfer portal before the transfer portal window closes 60 days after the Monday after selection Sunday. So that's who we're looking at now. Now, here's the interesting thing about this wave of players. Once they decide to pull out of the NBA draft and transfer, or you know, you could enter the transfer portal, but still go back to your school if it makes sense to do so. But the vast majority of players who have both entered the draft and the portal, if they come back to college, are going to go somewhere else. And so that's what we're seeing. So the great thing about this wave is that although it's a longer wait for colleges who are trying to get their roster established 
even though that wait is longer, it's often worth the reward and payoff because the players you're looking at now are often guys who are either NBA level or fringe NBA level basketball talents who are deciding to come back for a year of school. Now, you've also got the guys who are just doing it to get more information and we're never really going to make it right. Like that, that is part of this wave as well, but you get guys from who, from a talent standpoint, at the very least are, are players you would really want on your team. And so this wave is worth waiting on. Does that make sense? I hope so. One of those players is Grant Nelson, um, who we had talked about on a previous show several weeks ago. Um, if you didn't have a chance to watch that, I will link it over here where you link such stuff. So keep your eye out for that. As for today, another one of those players is Creighton transfer Arthur Kaluma. Now, as I said, there are some other players in this category too that, that I think Carolina could look at, but today I want to hone in on Kaluma. Now, uh, let, let me remind us all of where Carolina stands in terms of available scholarships. Some people, I know you're on it and you know when you're tracking with me and you see my colorful chart all the time. But for those who don't uh, or who aren't up to date, North Carolina has two remaining available scholarships for this next academic year. After Elliot Cadeau reclassified and signed last week, that took Carolina's 11th scholarship. You get 13 each year. So that means there are two left. So that's what we're talking about is how or if Carolina will utilize those final two scholarships. Now that that is that in itself is is a show and a topic of conversation worth having and we will do some more of that as we go. But as for today, I want to hone in on looking at the possibility of Arthur Kaluma as a Tar Heel. Now I know there's the, the the whole Creighton of it all, right? Going back to Kendall Marshall's broken wrist. Uh, let's let's just set that aside for today and just assume that he's not a Creighton Blue Jay. Okay, well, he's not anymore, so there you go. <laughs> all right, Arthur Kaluma, rising junior, who has, therefore, two years of eligibility left. Um, he is the class immediately following the last class that has COVID eligibility. So the rising seniors have COVID eligibility if they want to use it. Rising juniors do not. There we go. So Kaluma is 6'7", 225. That was on um, Creighton's roster, his measurements last year. But a seven-foot wingspan. You love to see that, that plus extension going out on these players. That always speaks. What's cool is Kaluma has Ugandan heritage, um, but has been in the States for a long time. Uh, comes from Glendale, Arizona area, where he finished off his high school. Um, kind of a neat tie-in. You might recall that last year in the NCAA tournament, San Diego State and Creighton faced off with one another, and Kaluma's brother, Adam Seiko, played for San Diego State, and Kaluma was playing for Creighton, and so they got to play each other. As for um, how Kaluma was rated coming into college, he was 48th in the 2021 class per the 247 composite Ranking, So it's not just 247 sports ranking, but they take several ranking entities and compile them together and take the average and bing, bang, boom, there's your composite. So Kaluma does come in as a front court player. For those of you that have been tracking, you know that I've been saying for a long time, especially now, like when Dunleft and 
Elliot Cadeau came in still feels like Carolina should not take on any more personnel in the backcourt. There's six there already. And um, so if, if Carolina is going to spend a remaining scholarship, it needs to be on a wing or a front court player. And so Kaluma would satisfy that in terms of being a front court player. His main position is that kind of, I would call him a power forward of four, but can also play the three. And as a six, seven guy has that capability. And so that that's where you're looking at is kind of that ideal player for this spot. So let me say a couple things about other, other teams that are, are in on him. And then I want to say a little bit about where it fit as well. So the hunt, we'll call it the initial four that that were reported as being really in on Kaluma once he pulled out of the draft were Alabama, Kentucky, Texas, and Texas Tech. And so obviously that's a, that's a formidable set of schools. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Kentucky is the leader in the clubhouse right now just because of everything they've lost either through the transfer portal or in the NBA draft. And so if Carolina wants to get in on this, they got work to do to make up. I'm just going to say that. Now, here's an interesting thing about Alabama. They are also in on Grant Nelson, whom we've talked about, which there hasn't really specifically been anything tied between Carolina and Grant Nelson, just for what it's worth. But also, Bama has just recently hosted Jaron Stevenson, and so that's something to be aware of as well. They're going to be trying to grab him. So my thought, is that Carolina needs to get in on the Arthur Kaluma sweepstakes. Even if they get in on it and there's nothing doing, right? Like, it's like, all right, we've had a conversation and it's not going anywhere. Great. But I feel like you at least have to be part of the hunt. You at least have to be in on the conversation with these other schools that are pursuing him to find out if it would be a fit. And so as I look at front court transfer players available Kaluma or Nelson are the top two for me. And so like all in on let's go get Kaluma or, you know, again, have a conversation with him. Now here's the other thing I want to say, and then we'll take a break and then we'll get to talking about uh, um, Kaluma's like skill set, scouting report, that kind of stuff. I know it feels like Carolina is at the point where they already have their starting lineup. And so, like, on one hand, I could hear you say, and I would hear this argument, so why go get somebody else that is starting lineup caliber? Doesn't that just cause locker room issues? Or if he doesn't, if he comes and isn't a starter, doesn't that cause locker room issues? Potentially. But why not go after someone that could potentially make that starting lineup even better than it currently is? That That's what I would look at. So, as you've heard me say, I think there are a lot of other people that, that talk about it um, as this, that the starting lineup that I would perceive right now is Elliot Cadeau and RJ Davis in the backcourt as the one and the two. Um, Cormac Ryan as the wing, the small forward, the three, with um, Harrison Ingram kind of playing a small ball four, and then obviously Armando Baycott at the five. Um, there are some like our, our buddy Joshua Marlowe, Josh Marlowe, who comes on from Heel Tough blog, actually put out an article recently saying why he thinks Elliot Cadeau should come off the bench to start. We actually I need to have Josh on to talk about that and unpack. It would be a fun conversation. But assuming what I've just said is the starting lineup. Um, 
where where would Kaluma fit? Well, maybe if if Cadeau, you know, the the coaching staff determines ah, we need to give him a little bit of time, then you've got maybe RJ Cormac Ryan or Simeon Wiltshire at the two, um, Harrison Ingram at the three. You put Kaluma right in at the four, and then Baycott in at the five. There's possibilities and options there. The problem is that I I doubt he is someone that you could sell on, hey, come play a secondary role for us off the bench. Part of that is he was in a much better position at Creighton last year. Creighton had a much better season than did the Tar Heels last year. Although, let's keep in mind, Carolina is a much higher brand and national entity than is Creighton, so there is that side of it. But for the Blue Jays, he was one of five to average double-digit scoring. He had 11.8 points, but he was the lowest of those five, the fifth option on the team. I I think he's wanting to go somewhere where he's not going to have that type of role, where he's going to have a bigger role. Now, the thing at Carolina is he would not have – he would be at best third fiddle behind RJ and Armando, right? Like, I think we would all recognize that. But – I think wherever he goes, he wants it to be somewhere where it's like, I can be showcased a little more. Now, again, he is a Ford. Like, that is his main position. And so, if it's not Harrison Ingram, I, before the Cadeau reclassification, I was thinking it was probably Jalen Withers at the four. And so, I think Kaluma would trump Withers in my book. Um, Withers is the better three-point shooter right now, but I would say Kaluma does just about everything else better. And so uh, Kaluma is really, really intriguing to me as a starting four. The other thing is we've talked about Jaron Stevenson. I might prefer him, but again, I feel like you have to have this conversation. You got to make this play. At, at the end of the day, you want all the talent you can get and you figure it out from there. And so that's, that's where we're at with this. Now, where I want to go next is talking about Kaluma's numbers the past couple of years looking at his scouting report, uh, some of some of his higher achievement moments to just see like, hey, how could he fit? We'll talk about all of that in just a second. But first, I need to tell you that today's episode, again, is brought to our friends at, by our friends at FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs. We're two games into the finals. Man, the Heat pulled out game two, heading back to Miami. Way to go. Because right now, new customers get a no sweat first bet. Are you ready for this? FanDuel is up to this to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. How can you miss out on that? Go get in on this action. They have great promotions literally every day at FanDuel. Their app, it's safe, secure, and super easy to use, and you can get paid instantly. So there's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on today and get that no sweat first bet up to $2,500 back. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. 
From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, let's dive right back into Arthur Kalum. I want to first look at his numbers, kind of the raw numbers for the past two seasons that he's been at Creighton. This past season, his sophomore year, 11.8 points a game, six rebounds, 1.6 assists, right around half a steal and half a block a game. Shot 73.6% from the free throw line on 3.8 attempts per game. So that's uh, basically you know, five, six, seven percentage points better than Armando. Like I've been talking about, I'd love for Mondo to get up to the 70% threshold, uh, 42.3% from the field last year. And part of that is because, you know, around the basket doing fine, but shot 31.1% from three on 3.6 attempts per game. His freshman year numbers were honestly pretty similar to this. Um, 10.4 points, 5.4 rebounds, 1.3 assists, Essentially the same half a steal, half a block uh, was didn't shoot as well from the free throw line. 67.1% shot a little better from the field. 44.4%, but his three point shooting was atrocious. His freshman year, just 26.5% on 3.3 attempts per game. Some career uh, like, man, what were some of your just good defining moments? His career high was 27 points, scored that against BYU last year in Las Vegas in kind of a neutral site, multi-team event environment. Um, but the the performance that really most jumps off the page at me is actually a performance I saw live and in person, and several of you might have done so as well. I'll explain why in just a second. But that was in the second round of the NCAA tournament, Kaluma's freshman year. He had 24 points, 12 rebounds, three assists, one block, one steal against eventual national champion Kansas. And so a great performance there. I know it wasn't his career high in scoring, but perhaps his best all around performance. And so to do that, I mean, you you think about the front court, the talent that Kansas had that national championship season. uh, I'm impressed by his ability to go out and do that. Now, the reason I say you might have seen that is because I don't know if you remember, but Creighton and Kansas were in that same Fort Worth um, site that Carolina was at in the NCAA tournament in 2022. So on Saturday, right after Carolina beat Baylor in the most nerve wracking moments of my life in person was that Creighton Kansas game. Obviously, Kansas won it, but Arthur Kaluma had a great performance. So on to his scouting report. Um, some good and some bad. You can play inside and out as as a six seven, um, you know, two twenty ish guy. Um, ha- has the ability to get in and bang. Has the ability to get outside and do a little bit out there as well. He's got good footwork inside. Very, he's very athletic, high energy, high motor. I love to see that. Um, he is a strong athlete, and I mean that both in terms of like he's a really good athlete, but also he's strong. I love his frame and um, how it's put together. It's not like a pudgy 225. It's a it's a in shape, thick. I'm gonna bounce off of you 225. 225. Uh, great energy and motor. Just a guy that keeps going, going, going both ends of the court. He is a better playmaker than you would expect. Not not like elite. Not Harrison Ingram level. 
but he's solid, right? For for posi- positionally, he is a solid playmaker. Can play a couple different positions, as we talked about earlier. Can guard multiple positions. Um, although, on the flip side, on the kind of negative of what I see with Kaluma, he does need to be more consistent as a defender, particularly, I would say, in pick and roll against guards, um, where, you know, it's like to be able to use that athleticism and footwork a little better um, is growing there. Clearly the most glaring weakness in the game, and you heard me say it with his stats, is his three-point shooting. Uh, if he's going to be taking three to four assists or three to four attempts, excuse me, a game, it's got to grow. You know, obviously he took a, a jump this past season up to 31.1%, but to be taking that many attempts a game, he's got to be up to 35, 36%. We have experienced enough of that, of um, high volume three-point shooting with low efficiency in terms of makes and Carolina just can't have that. And so um, here's the thing though. I believe that that shot can grow from, from watching Kaluma these past two years, the physical attributes are there. There's nothing physically holding him back from shooting at the level that I think he can from deep, uh, but he's got to do it. He's got to develop it. I don't know if that can happen in an off season before he would come to play. That might be the work of an NBA player eventually. Now, as we talked about, Kaluma is a, is part of this wave of players that was in the NBA draft ultimately decided to come back um, as mock drafts that I've looked at, he was at one point kind of a fringe first rounder, um, but now would have been probably somewhere in the forties would be my estimation of where he would have landed. If he would stay, I, I believe he would have been drafted, but clearly wants to come back, improve his draft stock back to that first round status, and then maybe go after this year. So Arthur Kaluma, a potential for one of those two final scholarships for North Carolina. Would love to hear your thoughts on him if you've checked out Arthur Kaluma or his tape and go uh, find the comments and let me know. Well, wrapping up the show today, it was an unfortunate end to the baseball season for the Diamond Heels, but we want to make sure to unpack it. We'll do that in just a second. All right, North Carolina traveled up to Terre Haute, Indiana, for the Indiana State Regional. Who would have thought that? But there they were. Congrats to the Sycamores and what I've been jokingly calling them the Fighting Larry Birds. North Carolina, as you know, started things off on Friday evening. We haven't talked on the podcast since any of this action has happened. Well, for the Tar Heels, for me, the theme of the weekend was missed opportunities. Just too many runners left in scoring position, too many runners left on base, too many kind of mental mistakes and other things that the Tar Heels did to play. They played winning baseball, but not elite winning baseball that you need to advance when you get into this part of the season. And so unfortunately it wound up with one run losses to Iowa to bookend the, the Tar Heels appearance in the regional round. So let's start with Friday night where Carolina lost five to four. They had this great comeback, entered the ninth inning down five, one Carolina was the visitor. So top of the ninth, Osuna hits a two run bomb to get it to five to three. A couple guys get on base. Vandebreak gets a double to score cook and gets Horvath to third. So men on second and third down one, one out. 
you got to push at least one of these runs across. You got to make contact, whether, you know, we've seen Coach Forbes willing to use the squeeze or whatever you got to do to get a run in. But unfortunately, both Frick and then Stokely strike out back to back to end the game. Carolina loses 5 4. Now, that was not the only moment to have a missed opportunity, but obviously the most glaring moment because of when it happened in the game. And again, that's what I'm saying. Carolina did had some winning baseball, but not elite enough to get over the hump. Now, a nice rebound on Saturday morning against Wright State to move on in the elimination bracket, won that game five to nothing. But then we move on to Sunday afternoon and it's Iowa again. And once again, it's missed opportunities. The same way they ended Friday night's game against Iowa is the same way essentially that they started this one. Carolina were the home team this time around first inning bases loaded one out, nothing doing can't push a run across. And I, I don't know about you as, as somebody who grew up playing baseball and am still a baseball junkie. That's just always a bad omen to me. Anytime it's like, ah, oh, man, we're about to push across three or four runs here in the first inning, and then you get the goose egg. I just always like, uh, yeah, 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 right? Like you kind of bury your head and worry about it. Um, so that's another one of these missed opportunities for Carolina. Um, perhaps the most glaring one of the weekend was this for me, and and you hate to to single it out, but. Um, it was Casey Cook who did it, and honestly, it's on his teammates as well. Here's what happened. Carolina is already down in the game. I believe it was 4-2 to two at this point to Iowa, and it was the seventh inning, less than two outs, runner on third. Cook catches a fly ball, kind of has to turn around a little bit, but catches a fly ball in foul territory. There was one out at this point. And so obviously, I, for those of you who don't know baseball rules, you can tag up on like a sack fly, even if it's a ball in foul territory and score. So this is why I say it's it's kind of a mental mistake here because Cook catches the ball and is it's too deep to be able to throw the runner out. So scores easily and it's 5-2 Iowa at that point. If Cook had realized where he was or teammates had been able to let him know, hey, don't catch it. You're in foul territory. Drop the ball. You know, like that. that's not that's not outside the realms of what we do in baseball. Just telling you that from someone who is a lifelong baseball player, like that is something you do when, when there are times when outs are more important than runs, like, Hey, we will give up this run for this out. This is a moment, the seventh inning of an elimination game where you're already down two, where actually the run keeping the run from scoring is more important than the out. And so legitimately Cook, Casey Cook should have just let this ball drop in foul territory. It was close. It was close to the line. It's a tough call. But he needs to be able to realize where he's at and or teammates need to be able to help him realize where he's at to not make that catch. Now, part of the reason for that is because Carolina is able to get two across on a two-run double, get it to 5-4, and then here comes Matt Corvath, one out in the ninth inning immediately off the bat, you knew this ball was gone. Tie ball game in the bottom of the ninth, but then Carolina can't push anything else across. This is part of why the the Cook run in the seventh inning for Iowa is so big. If that run doesn't score, and there's, you know, obviously Carolina didn't let anything else come across after that fifth run. 
who knows how it might have played out. You know, that Iowa might have pushed a couple more across, but at that point, you have to take that gamble. Had they not, had it still been four to two, Horvath's home run is a walk-off home run. You realize that? Instead, it sends the game to extra innings. Nothing happens for a couple innings. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of action, but if I remember correctly, nobody even got to third. And so neither team really, really put too much pressure on the other. Tar Heels struggled um, to do much of anything there. And ultimately, Carolina had some great efforts in the outfield in the 13th inning, but uh, Iowa was able to push a run across. Carolina couldn't in the bottom of the 13th. That's your ball game. That's your season. And that is a tough way to lose. And um, I mean, gosh, and let's be honest, whoever won that game was going to have to turn around and face Indiana state in about an hour and a half after that in another potential elimination game. The, the winner who obviously was Iowa was going to have to beat Indiana state on Sunday night. And again, today on Monday to advance Um, as we know, it turned out that Indiana state won and is the regional champ moving on to the semi uh, semifinal super regional against the winner of the Arkansas regional. And we don't know who that winner is yet. So three things to me really stood out here. Um, We talked going into this series that the pitching depth or lack thereof was a potential bugaboo for the Tar Heels and that they really needed to stay in the winner's bracket to have a a good hope of advancing. That didn't happen. As we know, they, they dropped into the loser's bracket on Friday night as they did last year. Last year, they were able to survive it and come back and, and win the regional. This year, they just could not. Number two. No Vance Honeycutt really hurt. I mean, duh, right? <laughs> um, an, an unfortunate way to end his sophomore year, an unfortunate way to win to end the Tar Heels year. How like to what degree did not having Vance Honeycutt hurt? Like, does Carolina is Carolina able to do the things they need to do to win this regional or stay in the winner's bracket or you know, any of that with Honeycutt? We'll never know, but it certainly wouldn't have hurt. Um, and then the other thing that was interesting to me about this regional is with no Vance Honeycutt, it's like, man, we got to have Mac having an, an absolute baller regional. And he just started slow, 0 for 4 with a walk on Friday night against Iowa, started the right state, right state game, the right state game, 0 for 3 on Saturday before getting a hit and was ultimately fourth the rest of the way, was super hot in the second game against Iowa, 3 of 5. Of those four hits, two homers, one double, and a single. So Mac really got on fire. Unfortunately, too little, too late. But for Mac, he ends his junior year with 24 home runs, 47 extra base hits, both of which were the second most in a single season in Carolina history. Congrats to Mac on a great, great season, which once again was not rewarded with a first-team All-ACC selection. I just do not get it. Friends, thanks for joining us to start off the week with a new look for me and the show. Really love diving in all together as always. If you would, go leave the show a review on Apple Podcasts, anywhere else you can do so. Five stars. Talk about why you love the show. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Locked on Tar Heels, and Isaac Shade are where you can find the show and me personally. If you want to talk more in depth, email the show, LockedOnTarHeels at gmail.com. Don't forget, subscribe to the show, smash the like button, and leave your comments once again on Arthur Kaluma or on some of your favorite memories from this baseball season. 
Even though the, the year is over, it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. I'll talk to you again tomorrow, but until then, peace.